drink the drink. But I don't want the drink. He doesn't want the drink. He does. I don't. You do. I don't. You do. I don't. You do. I don't. You don't. I do. You don't. I do. You don't. Listen, when I say I do, that means I do. Welcome to Detour to Neverland, your guide to living your best Disney life through your hobby or business. Here's your hosts, Brendan and Catherine. Welcome back to Detour to Neverland. Today is episode number 174. Catherine, we lied. We did lie. So... We knew we were going to be doing another storytelling episode, and it was Brendan's pick again, and he initially picked the Indiana Jones ride in Disneyland because we were trying to just cover all of our grounds. It sounded like a good idea at the time, um, and it's something that we'll probably come back and revisit, but as of right now, I've never even seen the movies, and it felt just off to do, you know, an, a more in-depth episode about something that I don't have a lot of experience with. Yeah, so it just made sense. It's been years since I've seen them as well. So if we're going to cover it, I want to understand the source material. So I we think... have some homework. Yeah, we have some work about homework. We've got them all on DVD. So lucky for you, we can sit down and have an Indiana Jones marathon. Oh, man. Are they on Disney Plus? I don't know. We've never looked for them. I haven't seen them on there. That's interesting, though. We'll have to see. But anyway, before we get into Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin, which I'm equally excited about as Indiana Jones, do we need to take a few minutes and talk about one of our favorite shows of all time that just ended last night? I am very upset about it because we discovered... Our my new favorite show, Shit's Creek, just about a month ago, and we had the opportunity to binge watch it. So it's all we've been seeing for like a month. And then we finished it up just yesterday in time to watch the final episode ever. They only did six seasons. And now I feel very lost. So it is a show that has gained so much notoriety as of late. I feel like so many of our friends started watching it around the same time as us. So we won't spend too much time. Obviously, it's not in our wheelhouse. But I do want to encourage anybody who has not watched it. It is some of the best storytelling in a sitcom that I've ever seen. It has all the emotions. It'll make you hysterically laugh. It'll make you cry. It'll pull at your heartstrings. You'll root for the characters, even though at first they seem super annoying. And it was just the perfect show. So I would say as storytellers, which I would, I think we're all storytellers in our own way, but especially if you are creating some sort of content, then you're, you're obviously a storyteller in that fashion. To me, Schitt's Creek was a just absolute perfect example of how, to, and they talked about this in the finale, that you can share a lesson or share, change a way of thinking without doing it as a lesson. 
mm-hmm. which is really like a paradigm shift for me. Yeah, you can share something without being pushy is kind of the way that they said it. Um, and it was just it was just so beautifully done. Yeah. And they they talked about that they made you think a different way just by showing you how life could be. Mm-hmm. And I even think there's elements of that that we can implement into detour. And I think there's elements that if you write a blog that you can do, that there's ways of sharing information that are not, you know, lessons, for lack of a better word. Yeah, well, I think part of that in what you said comes back to just being authentic. And that's something that throughout the show, like these characters were over the top and they you know, were so off the wall in their own little way, but they were always authentic to themselves. And it was kind of the idea that they were putting good out into the world and then, you know, good things came back to them over time. And I think that's something that really stands out. Yeah. So it is not a family-friendly show, in case you were wondering. I would say the overall themes are not adult, but the language is. Yeah, I mean, there's some things. I probably wouldn't watch it with, like, kids. Yeah. But it was a good show. Yeah. Okay. You got it out of your system? Or do you I... want to do a full episode on it? <laughs> no, I'm good now. Okay. So Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin. Let's start with the scene breakdown because the history is a lot. Like a lot, a lot. It is a lot. So I'll keep this short and sweet. But you start the ride by boarding your own personal cartoon taxi. His name is Lenny. He is a Cousin, sibling, friend of Benny. He's his cousin. Cousin. It's not all the other things. He's his cousin. You could be a cousin and a friend. He's been <laughs> from the movie Benny. It's Benny's cousin. Lenny. Lenny. Okay. You get the green light from the taxi company and you're off. And the first thing that happens is your taxi goes through a puddle of this acid drip, which is called dip. And that's ultimately what causes your car to spin. And that is an important part of the ride. It goes with the name, but your car actually spins as you go through the ride. And I was not expecting that the first time I wrote it. I've only ridden the ride once, but um, it's a fun little perk, I guess. So you see the weasels who are the bad guys, and it's kind of introduced to you that they're out to kill or they're out to get Roger Rabbit. And throughout the entire ride, you're traveling through this Toontown, but it's not the happy-go-lucky Toontown that you would envision. Um, It's kind of like the back dark alleyways of Toontown at night. So it, it is kind of dark in a way, which is interesting because, again, that's not typically what you think when you visit Toontown. Um, some of the places that you go are Bolina's, china shop where you can see her trying to just hold everything together a bull in a china shop it was pretty funny pretty punny yeah i would bolina bolina is how i would have pronounced it so it's bull in a china shop oh bolina sounded nicer (laughs) it sounds i don't know it sounds like a ballerina i don't know okay bolina china shop whatever um after you leave the china shop You go through a powerhouse and there's flashing lights. It's saying danger, danger, danger. And you can see Roger Rabbit in a fight with Psycho. 
during their altercation, he gets electrocuted. There's a big blast. Um, he starts to hallucinate. And of course, you know, there's the little birds and all the things that you would picture like in a cartoon character as they, you know, get knocked out and all that good stuff. And then in the finale of the ride, you end up in the gag warehouse where it looks like you're trapped. It looks like the weasels are going to get you and Roger Rabbit um, until, of course, he saves the day with a portable hole and you're free to go. So ultimately, the ride doesn't actually follow the movie, which is not typical for most dark rides. Um, again, it kind of sends you on your own adventure, but it has those same um, themes from the movie. Yeah, and there's reasons that we can talk about for, of course, why it can't follow the same story as the movie. One thing that you and I actually never experienced was the queue for this ride. Mm -hmm. So it, I watched a video of it. It's top notch. I mean, there's all kinds of references to the movies, references to other cartoons in there. Of course, they have license plates that spell out things like Captain Hook and Toontown and Fantasyland, all kinds of things like that. But there's also a scene where you're walking past baby Herman's office and he's reading a newspaper that says it has a reference to Horace horse collar. His wallpaper on his wall is the silhouette of Jessica rabbit. There's another place where you pass Jessica rabbit's dressing room. Um, there's just all kinds of interactive parts of the queue. When you think about this ride built in the early nineties, it's almost a little ahead of its time in that aspect. Oh, yeah. I am sad that we missed that then. I guess we had a fast pass. So it's probably worth pass. telling the story of how we got to ride this ride. We wanted to go to it all day. Obviously, when we were in Disneyland, doing the things that we did not have in Disney World were of utmost importance to us. And so a fast pass randomly popped up for it. We were standing, I think, at small world You're like this is perfect we'll mm -hmm. go up there we went up there it has a zero minute queue i think it's one <laughs> of the only times in my entire life that it actually showed the queue as zero minutes and not five minutes yeah it was completely empty it was it was late at night toontown was about to close so that's why we got to do it so for that reason we didn't walk through any of the actual queue no but now i feel like we Miss Scout, when we go back, we'll definitely have to. But typically, the Fast Pass and the Normal Line merge very early on so that Fast Pass does get to experience the queue. Oh, okay. Interesting. So, that's pretty much the ride. Mm -hmm. Are you ready to dive in to the complex history of Roger Rabbit? Yeah, I'm excited. There is so much here that there's no possible way that we can cover it in one sitting. Well, that's okay. There's things that we're going to miss. There's things I'm sure you probably know about that we will not be able to cover. But I'm going to try to hit the high points and try to paint a picture of how this ride came to be, which honestly is kind of a misfit. I would agree. For where it is, it, it doesn't make too much sense. So... Of course, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, the source material for this ride, released through Disney's Touchstone Pictures 
on June 22nd, 1988. The concept for the movie is based off the 1981 novel Who Censored Roger Rabbit, which I've never read, but now I really want to. <laughs> Um, as soon as that book was published, Disney almost immediately purchased the movie rights to it because they knew they saw so much potential in what it could be. So there's lots of behind the scenes work that go on. There's multiple scripts that get written for it, yada, yada, yada. Eventually, Disney gets the production off the ground. And Steven Spielberg becomes the executive producer of it, or his company becomes the executive producer of it. Through his creative freedoms, he is able to strike these deals to lend other animation characters. That's where you get the Warner Brothers, the Betty Boops. There's other ones. But, Bugs Bunny? Well, Bugs Bunny is Warner Brothers. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, there's other smaller um, groups that they were able to get. Warner Brothers is the big one mm -hmm. that you notice throughout. And there were all kinds of contingencies put in place. For example, quote-unquote competing characters. Like Donald and Daffy Duck had to be shown in the same way and have like the same amount of airtime. Like equal. Yeah. So yeah. they're both they're they're both master pianists in this. Mickey and Bugs Bunny, who would both consider the forefront of their respective companies, both they're in the same scene with each other for this. So the lending is pretty much attributed to Steven Spielberg that he was able to convince these other companies to allow them to put them into the movie. But he wasn't completely successful. I didn't realize this, but there were way more characters that he wanted to include, but he never got the chance to. So people like Popeye, Tom and Jerry, Little Lulu, which I'm not familiar with. No. Casper, the Friendly Ghost, and Terry Toons were all pitched the idea of joining this movie, but they could not strike a deal. Hmm. But I feel like by not having them, like we didn't miss anything. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it was detrimental to the movie. I don't think it was detrimental. I think Tom and Jerry would have been cool just based on that timeline of, of that period in time. Casper would have been cool. I mean, they all would have been cool. But, I mean, Warner Brothers and Disney, I mean, they're the two. The big ones. They're the big ones. So getting all of those characters on the same screen was just mind-blowing that they could actually pull this off. It'll never, ever, ever, ever happen again. <laughs> yeah. Unless some, there's some way that Disney acquires Warner Brothers, but even then I bet they wouldn't do it. I feel like there would just be, there'd be a lot of egos probably. And even with like the whole screen time, like you mentioned a minute ago, I mean, I'm sure that would be even, you know, a bigger deal is how everything can be equal, and I'm sure it, it would be a big issue. Yeah, so the movie, of course, takes place with live action and with animation. So the technology that went into building that actually made this the most expensive movie ever made for its time. 
which is crazy to mm-hmm. think about uh, an animated movie having that big of a budget. Now we think of them that they can crank those things out quite easily. But despite the massive budget, it was still a humongous success. One of the best movies of the late 80s, probably the best movie of that year, um, without a doubt. And it was kind of a worldwide phenomenon for a little bit. So the way that it was set up was that Disney owned all the merchandise rights for the movie. And because of that, they had huge plans to continue to cash in on this title and on this intellectual property. So there's not too much documentation on these next parts. I'm sure there is somewhere, but there's no plan written out that says something like this, but the the idea behind getting Roger Rabbit to the forefront, Disney was sparing no expense. They wanted him to be huge. There are rumors that they wanted Roger Rabbit and Mickey Mouse standing side by side each other, both being just massive icons for the company. I mean, that is pretty hard to believe, especially, I mean, I feel like Roger Rabbit is fairly lovable, but if you put him next to Mickey Mouse, is he's not nearly the same kind of caliber. And maybe it's just because we are a little farther distance from Roger Rabbit, but that's funny to imagine to me. Yeah, so the plans as they unfolded where Roger Rabbit was maybe not going to be side by side with Mickey, but he was absolutely going to be the face of then MGM studios. He was going to get his own little miniature land in the park that had three different attractions, one of which was going to be cartoon spin. So originally his home was going to be in Florida. You, there was going to be meet and greets with Roger Rabbit I'm sure he'd be the grandmaster of the parades in that area. He would probably be in the logo as well. But there's a couple things that fell apart that made this never come to fruition. Egos and greed. Which, not surprising. So the rights to Roger are jointly owned by Disney and Amblin Entertainment. Amblin Entertainment is Steven Spielberg's production company. I don't know if they still exist today. But the conflict between Michael Eisner and Steven Spielberg would not go away. They would not agree on how or if Roger Rabbit should be used in the parks. I'm sure it just comes down to that Steven Spielberg wanted his cut of everything. I'm sure. He just didn't have the advantage of having his own massive theme park to put Roger in himself. Mm-hmm. So that played a hand in Roger getting cut back. And the other was the financial struggles of Euro Disney in the early nineties. This reminds me of just a couple years ago when Shanghai was being built, you know, any kind of delay or any kind of buzz cut, you'd see the hashtag like thank Shanghai going around. <laughs> if social media was that prevalent in the early 90s, it probably would have been thanks Euro Disney or thanks Paris. <laughs> probably. Because Euro Disney was struggling so much to get off the ground in that time period, 
budget cuts and especially expansion budgets were drastically reduced. So when the dust all settled, Roger Rabbit was not going to get his own land in MGM Studios anymore. He was instead going to get one attraction. It landed in Anaheim and it landed in Mickey's Toontown, which opened up in 1994, one year after Mickey's Toontown opened in 1993. Later, they opened Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin. It's pretty much exactly the same in Tokyo and Disneyland in 1996. So that's pretty much the history. The, the nice summed up version with a nice little bow. That is interesting, though, because I I knew that the movie was popular, um, but I never would have imagined that they had such big plans for it, especially when you think about it being kind of combined with those Warner Brother cartoons. You know, it does kind of seem like a competition of interests. Yeah, I mean, so that's the reason why the ride cannot tell the story from the movie, because obviously they don't want Bugs Bunny. They don't want to highlight those people. Yeah, which you can tell the story without them, but it's it's missing something. I agree. So it's an adaptation of the same story. It's still that the dip is out to get you with the weasels, but they don't show any of the other characters. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty much it. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. So let's take a quick break, hear a message from our partners, and then we'll be back to do our storytelling lessons from this, our personal history, and our Neverland score. Today's episode is brought to you by Karma and Kismet. Our friend Kelly is an outstanding artist and designer, and she brings a lot of magic to your day. And right now, I think something that everybody needs more of is that connection and that personal connection. And something that I love to do is send little care packages or little happy mail, magic mail, whatever you want to call it, to your friends. Kelly creates beautiful stationery and beautiful cards that you can send to your loved ones right now. When you can't be together, you can still be together and share that love. We would highly recommend checking out Kelly's work at karmaandkismetdesigns.com. That's the letter N. And you can search her on Etsy as well. We're going to put the link in our show notes for you. And if you use the code DETOUR10, you get 10% off your order. I'd just like to point out that you sent a care package to an unborn child this week. It really makes me happy. I did that when my sister was in college. I do the things, if you've ever looked on Pinterest before, I like to make like themed boxes. I had made like a yellow box for her, like sending you some sunshine. Everything in the box was yellow. Today, it was, of course, Easter themed for my friend, um, the first of my friends who's having a baby. So, And when is the baby due? <laughs> um, like the end of July. <laughs> and it already has an Easter basket. Yes, of course. Okay. I did the same thing for our niece. Sounds rational. I think everyone right now needs some happy mail. That is true. Yes. All right, so the next portion is, we've been calling them storytelling lessons after we just gave our speech at the beginning about not (laughs) doing lessons. Storytelling takeaways, I guess, might be better. Take Yeah, I think takeaway is a good word. Um, For this one, it was a little difficult for me because I've only rode the ride 
once. And of course, I've watched the movie once. But I think a big theme just within the movie, it's very chaotic. There's a lot of misunderstandings. And I think that's true in all aspects of life. Um, but at the end, you know, the the good guy always seems to win. So that's my takeaway that even though it's super chaotic sometimes, um, even a little confusing or wacky or whatever else is going on, um, you just got to keep trucking along and and the good guy wins. The weasels lost. Yes. I struggled with this one as well to have takeaways. I think the story of Roger Rabbit and Disney rings more true to me than the ride, perhaps. Like the relationship between the two? Yeah, just because, I mean, I I know this sounds so silly, but it honestly breaks my heart to know what Roger what Roger Rabbit could have been. Roger Rabbit. <laughs> that's the Brooklyn <laughs> version. Um, just what could have been, because it is a story that means so much to me, both as a child, I watched it a ton, and now as an adult, it does have a lot of subtle adult humor as don't, well. Don't all Disney movies. They do, but that one in particular really stands out. To me, it's just very heartbreaking that greed and egos and corporate relationships almost rob that of the next generation. I don't yeah. know. Maybe well, it's dramatic, but I I can understand where you're coming from because if I were to show, you know, just like a picture of Roger Rabbit to my class, let's say, they probably wouldn't know who he is and it's it's mind-boggling to think that Roger Rabbit could have been, you know, a secondary face of Disney. I mean, that opens up, you know, a huge I don't know, just something that could have been which yeah. is interesting. Yeah, so the ride is, it's, I I enjoy the ride. Obviously, I love the movie. But as this pertains, just the ride itself is almost, and this is bleeding into our next for our Neverland Well, that's okay, score, you but, can. But it, it kind of, it makes me feel sad for what could have been. There was so much potential there. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine, you get it now in Mickey's Toontown a little bit. But can you imagine with the way that Imagineers can build sets and lands now, how that transition would have been from the real life to Toontown and seeing everything cartoon style? I I, I think you get that to a certain extent in Mickey's Toontown, but having a Hollywood land with all of the Roger Rabbit themed stuff, I think really would have been so excellent it would have been very cool i did you know like did they have any plans for like where that would be because it's almost hard to picture since it is so like old hollywood kind of themed it's almost hard to imagine where they would put like a cartoon area does that make sense it was going to be back there near backlot tour Hmm. and okay so i think some of it bled into where backlot tour was and then I would have to assume kind of that Streets of America area mm-hmm. as well, which is even that area. 
I loved that part of Hollywood Studios. That was weird area. It was what weird. What was its purpose? To hold the Osborne Festival of Lights? I I don't know. It was it was it always I just guess seemed, just to be like an immersive It just seemed unfinished. Yeah, I could agree with that. So yeah, I think that was the general area where it would have been. Well, since you already started, what's the rest of your personal history? Well, I mean, as the ride itself, I honestly had to watch a video of this to really remember it because we knew nothing about this ride when we got on it. Nope. I just knew it was different. I did not know that the cars spin. So that was wild. Mm -hmm. I couldn't really take anything in because I was spinning so fast. Yeah, we just I think we just made it spin the whole time. Yeah, I I focused more on spinning than I did the actual dark ride elements of it. Mm -hmm. So, but for me, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is, it's one I often forget about, but when I watch it, it sparks a fire that, like, I love that story. You were the one who convinced me to watch it. So basically... As a kid, the only memory I have of anything Roger Rabbit related was just seeing the VHS tape like in our family collection. Never watched it for whatever reason. It just never really stood out to me. Maybe I just like classified it in my head as, you know, ooh, that's an adult movie. That's, you know, something that mom and dad would watch. I don't know. But I watched it finally because Brendan convinced me. I'm very hesitant to watch new movies or new anything, really. I'm very skeptical. But it was a cute movie. The ride, like you said already, I didn't really have any expectations. I just liked that it spun around. So that was fun. Yeah, it's like a dark ride and the teacups mixed together. Exactly. So I guess that contributes to our Neverland scores, which are pretty low. Do you want to remind our listeners what composes a Neverland score? Sure. It's composed of the ability to take you out of reality. It's the story itself that's being told, the rewritability, the effects and technology, and the emotional attachment. The only two criteria that are really drawing points for me are the rewritability. I agree. And the emotional attachment for me. You probably don't get many points from there. No, (laughs) I think I was generous, too, with my score now looking at your score. I'm like second guessing it. You can change it. You haven't put it on air yet. Yeah. So my score, I gave it a four and a half. Okay. Which I almost hate to do. I want to love it. Mm -hmm. But compared to the movie and compared to the story, it could have been told and compared to what could have been for Roger Rabbit. This just, it misses for me. Yeah. It's enjoyable. I'm never going to skip it purposely. But it's not, it's not the best that Disney attractions have to offer. I agree. I think I would probably give it a four now that I'm thinking about it. I'm definitely interested in going back and looking at the queue now that we know it does have a lot of interesting parts to it and it might even help tie in the ride a little bit more. You know, we just kind of walked on it blindly. So I would be interested in seeing if that changes anything. But 
yeah, I mean, I think he said it all. I'm going to give it a four. This is hard because like, I want to be so optimistic about everything because there's genuinely not a ride in any Disney park that we've been to that I don't enjoy. Mm. Besides what? Oh, it's, Besides a bug's life. <laughs> it's tough to be a bug. I genuinely hate that attraction. Yeah. yeah. But any moving vehicle attraction, I genuinely enjoy, I think, pretty much every one. Mm-hmm. This one, it's just, it's kind of, I guess I'm viewing the score as it's not up to its potential. I think that's fair. And I mean... I do think giving it a lower score just helps keep put everything in perspective. Because if we just gave everything like a seven or an eight, then, you know, it's not very critical. Yeah. So these are the lowest scores that we've given out so far. I agree. One of the last things we have to do is you have to choose the attraction for next week. Oh, man. Okay. I've been thinking about this. And if we have... Moved over now to some Disneyland rides. I think I'm going to go with Disney's California Adventure. Can you guess which ride I'm thinking? Incredicoaster. Ooh, no, that's a good one. I thought about that one. I did. I think I'm going to have to go with um, the the racers. What are they called? Oh. Radiator Springs Racers. Radiator Springs Racers. Yes. It You're was nailing it out. It was on the tip of my tongue. It really was. I just lost it. So I'm excited for that one. I think cars came out in like a fun time when we were growing up. Um, and the ride was perfect in every way. I was completely obsessed with it when we wrote it. Well, spoiler alert. It's that's why I'm picking it. Okay. I've I've only picked rides that I love. Well, that's not the point. We gotta pick rides that we can critique. In a loving way. Anything else? Do you have any parting thoughts on Schitt's Creek? Oh, man. Just if you haven't watched it, you need to watch it because it's a game changer. All right. Name your top. Well, okay. For anybody else, for anybody who watches Modern Family, that ends tonight on release night. Oh, Wednesday my the goodness. 8th. That's going to tear my heart out. We have actually never sat down and watched those from season one concurrently. I think we picked it up in like season. I want to say maybe three seasons ago. But we've seen every single episode, just not in order. Yeah, I'm sure we have because we love um, this is how fun we are on Friday nights. We love to watch the Modern Family Fridays. Yeah, that's what we do on Friday nights after we eat Mexican restaurant food. That's what we did do. But we still watch Modern Family. But I'd say Modern Family is a top one. Um, the Crown. I love The Crown. Marvelous Miss Maisel is a really good one. You know what a common theme between all of these are? What? I recommended them. I knew you were going to say that. I can't with you. Is The Mandalorian up there? It's... it's I like Mandalorian. I don't think I it's I love a good comedy kind of TV show. That's where my heart is because I just want to laugh and forget about everything else. The Mandalorian is a little more action filled. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing quite as comedic as The Crown. Okay, well, that doesn't count. 
But those would be my recommendations if you're looking for a good TV show right now. That's good. Mm-hmm. I still have yet to watch the newest season of Ozark. I still have yet to watch the newest season of Better Call Saul. But you won't watch either of those with me. Yeah, probably because we're always together. <laughs> yeah. So if you guys are binging anything during this time, let us know. We're always looking for new shows to possibly take on. Yeah, especially if it's a comedy. Shout out to Sarah and Jeff for recommending Shit's Creek. Yes. Thank you, adults in Disney. All right. Is that it? That's it. All right. Well, we will be back on Monday with a brand new episode for you guys. Hope you are having a really great week. Hope you are staying safe. And yeah, hope you have a wonderful weekend. Bye. Thank you for listening to Detour to Neverland. Subscribe to the show and leave a review to help more people find us. Follow us on Instagram at Detour to Neverland underscore podcast to see our pictures from the parks. See you real soon.